before his, that is the Passion Week, uh, before his crucifixion. And ever since he's come into Jerusalem, there's been a lot of arguing and questioning and conflicts going on. And lots of people have been asking Jesus questions. And so there's, when you go back to chapter 15, uh, sorry, not 15, you go back to chapter 21, and then uh, in verse 23, it says, the chief priests, the elders, and the people came to him, and they asked him about what authority he had to preach. Yeah? And then, you know what Jesus does? He doesn't always answer the question straight, does he? He either sort of starts telling stories, or what, he, what does he do quite often as well? He asks a question back, yeah? So um, he, and, and sometimes he tells parables. Uh, when I preached last time, I think I was talking about parables. Anybody remembers? Anybody remembers what the point is of a parable? Why does Jesus tell parables? Why does he tell stories? It's not coming up, is it? Okay. Why does he tell parables? Anybody knows? What's the answer to that question? <coughs> yes. No. Nobody. No. Okay. It does. That's right. But the point of a parable is, you will never get the answer by just looking at the parable, listening to parable. You have to go to Jesus to ask for the answer. That's the whole point. He's drawing people to himself. Because just looking at the words and the stories and the arguments, you never get the point properly. You have to go to Jesus. So the parable, the secret of the parable is always that you need to go to Jesus. He is the key to each parable, yeah? And not in itself. The story is just an illustration. That's the wrong picture. We need to go one before that, please. Uh, actually, two before. Oh, they came to him with a question, yeah? Okay. So, so there we have it. So in, in chapter 21, we had the chief priest asking him questions. Then you come up to chapter 22, where the Pharisees came out and wanted to trap him about paying taxes. Uh, not that one. They came to him with a question. That one I want. Okay. And then the next ones are the Sadducees. No, not that one. It's not that one. It says at the top, they came to him with a question. Okay. And then the Sadducees came and now the Pharisees are coming. Ah, this is the one. Well done. Excellent. They did. Oh. Sorry, I do apologize. Okay. So basically, this is what's happening in the context. All these people are asking questions of Jesus, but the point is, so this is the, the, uh, the heart of the matter. This is what it's all about, yeah? But the matter of the heart is that Jesus doesn't just listen to what they're saying, yeah? He always goes beyond that. He wants to hear what they really, what are they really saying? What are they really trying to find out, yeah? And so... It's the spirit behind the question which matters. And it's very easy to get wrapped up in arguments, isn't it? I'm sure you must have done it. Somebody, especially when you start witnessing, somebody starts asking all these questions and 
Sometimes it's not about that, is it? It's something behind. And Jesus is, of course, very good at going straight to the point, and he always knows what's behind the question, what is really in the heart of these people. And some of them really did want an answer, but some of them didn't. Some of them just wanted to trap him. They just wanted to, because they were all very clever. They knew everything, and all they were trying to do is make him trip up. They just tried to trip him up and, and ask him something uh, that would he couldn't answer. But obviously we know that Jesus always, he went behind that, and he went straight to what they were actually wondering, wanting, you know. He either, if, that was, if it was an uh, honest question, he would give an honest answer, if it wasn't, he would, he would actually get back to them. And particularly these clever people, he rebuked them. Because what he said is, you know everything, but you're missing the point. That you, you don't see, how do we say, you can't see the wood for the trees? They knew all the details, but they didn't actually know what it was all about. And that's what, uh, what I want us to be able to do as well. I want to be like that. When people ask me, of course I want to answer their questions, but I want to hear their heart behind it. Because you know sometimes there's a lot of pain under what people are actually, they're talking about something, but actually something completely different is, is the matter with them. And if you get that revelation, you know, then you can really talk to people. If you can hear what is actually on their heart. So this is the first, first point I want to make. Okay, now we have the next one, which is when they're asking what is the uh, most important uh, law, yeah? Now the interesting thing is, apparently in the Old Testament there are 613 commandments. Now I didn't all count them myself, but I read that somewhere, but obviously there's loads. And nowhere does it say that one is more important than the other. I mean, if anything, you would think the Ten Commandments would be the most important ones, would you? But there's different people who have different <coughs> ideas of what, and, and the Pharisees and the scribes had a bit of a, of a list of what was more, they had some higher and some lower commands, that sort of thing, but there's never really anything said about the most important one or less important ones. And the fact that Jesus picks out these two and they come from, I put the, the references there, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And actually, the first one is, is a sort of in a section where it's quite important, just after the Ten Commandments. But the sext, next one is quite obscure, in the middle of some totally different laws and things. So the fact that he picks out those two is actually amazing, because nobody's ever seen those two put together in that way. And he basically says that that sums up everything. This is it. If you, if you do this, then you fulfill the whole law. And uh, quite often the Pharisees and the scribes, they're trying to trip him up, you know, and accuse him of not fulfilling the law, of breaking the law. But Jesus never broke the law. He fulfilled the whole law. But he completed it. And the point is that you have to look at the law through the eyes of God's love. That's the only way how you can actually interpret the law. Because if you're just hung up about all the details, it's not going to get you anywhere. And that's exactly what happened. They just argued and argued and argued, you know. What about this? What about that? What about the other? But they completely missed the point. <coughs> and I just wanted to say a little bit about 
the love bit here. So uh, obviously we have got a bit of an issue with love. Well, maybe you don't, but <laughs> our society has a bit of an issue with love because we have quite a, quite a wrong understanding of what love is actually about. Now, there's lots of different words used in scriptures for love, and uh, in my handouts I'll give you a list of them, but, but what's the, the crucial thing with all the different words for love? That, so there's like, in the Hebrew, there's three main ones, Ahab, Chesed, and Raham, and they are spontaneous, impulsive, deliberate choice of affection and kindness, to have compassion, brotherly love. And then in the Greek, we have... You've probably heard this before. We've got eros, philia, and agape. Mm -hmm. So eros would be the sexual love. Philia would be the sort of uh, friendly f love, brotherly love for friends, spouses, children. And then agape is the famous one, isn't it? The one where God. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's the agape love is a covenant love. And it's... Uh, it's something that is very active. So the love in the Bible is never something that you just receive, yeah? And certainly it's not a feeling on its own. There may be feeling involved, but more than anything, it's an action. Love is an action, an action of the will. So when it comes to us loving each other, love the Lord, all that, a lot of us find that quite difficult, isn't it? Well, we first of all, we find it difficult to love ourselves, mm -hmm. for a start. Then it's, it's almost easier to love God, maybe, or to love the world out there than loving our neighbor, isn't it, who gets on our nerves, <laughs> who's doing the uh, hoovering at 12 o'clock at night and <laughs> listening to music we don't like. And, and that's why he, Jesus put in love your neighbor, because it's a very close thing, isn't it? But the good news is... Even if you don't feel love for your neighbor, whoever your neighbor is, it doesn't matter. You just be kind to him. You choose to be good to them. You choose to be proactive to them. And I think we can all do that, can't we? We can all do something good, even if we don't like the person. Have you ever done anything for somebody you don't like? Something good? And the funny thing is, quite often when you do that, the feelings actually come on behind of it, yeah? You suddenly actually do like the person a bit more or you have a bit of a feeling for that person. Has that happened to you? Mm -hmm. But you can't start with feeling kindly and lovingly, yeah? Don't forget about that. If you don't feel kind and loving towards someone, don't worry, just be nice to them. That's quite simple, isn't it? So that's what this love command is all about. It's... And for me, that's very encouraging because otherwise you might as well pack up and go home, you know, because you, how are we ever going to love God? How are we ever going to love our neighbor? How are we ever going to love even ourselves? You know, sometimes I have to decide to love myself. Believe it or not, I don't always love myself. But, <laughs> but uh, it's a decision of, of the will. And this is what this command is all about, Yeah. So that's that one. Then the next one is a bit more of a tricky one. Is This is a bit of a, a very highly theological argument they're doing here, right? When uh, So they have asked him a question, and he sort of silenced them, as he always does. 
And now he's asking them the question back, right? And he's saying, now, what do you think about Christ, yeah? Who do you think he is? Do you remember Vance preaching on this? He, uh, he pointed out that there's four what-do-you-think questions in Matthew, and they are, maybe you've written it down, I don't know, they are in chapter 17, 18, 21, and 22. There's four times Jesus asked, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah? Rather than answering their questions, he says, what do you think? And this is really the heart of the whole thing. What do you think about Jesus? Who do you think he is? And the way that J Jesus dealt with the Pharisees here was that, again, they know all the details, you know, they know all the scriptures, everything. They recite it all the time, all the time. But they're missing the point again because what they can't get into their head is that Jesus is God and man at the same time. And because th they had this idea of the Messiah being from the line of David, so obviously a man, and he would restore the, na the nation, you know, he would restore the power, he would restore the, the line of David. But in a political sense, in an earthly sense, they wanted someone to come in and wipe out the Romans and get rid of them and put up the throne of David again. But unfortunately, that didn't really happen, did it? That's not really who Jesus was. He, he had a different agenda. And so as he is asking them, because they, they answer this question, of course he's the son of David. Everybody knows that. Every child knows that in Israel. They recite it all the time. But then Jesus said, well, so he's proving the point with the scriptures that they think they know so well, yeah? But he's actually proving it to them, or basically... they. They get, it's like a riddle. How can it be that he is the son of David and then he's his Lord? How does that happen? And there's a lot of words in there, in the Greek and the Hebrew, that you can compare of how they actually, and it's all from Psalm 10, that's where, it, 110. That's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, Psalm 110, because it talks about this whole issue of the Messiah being at the same time God and man. And they can't get that round in their heads. They, they just can't believe that. So, and that's the trouble, isn't it? You can know everything in your head, but unless you have a revelation in your heart, then it's not going to work. And that's, has anybody read Vance's books, by the way? Have you read the newest ones? Anyway, I, I had to really get my brain in gear for that one. Boy, it's <laughs> I have to go over it about three times more. It's so in-depth and everything. But what Vance, what I really appreciate about how he puts it is the whole thing of what is sin all about? What is it actually that happened between God and his creation? What Why did the devil fall? Why did we fall? What happened? And the whole point that I, the way I understand the Vance is arguing, and I really, uh, I really uh, like the way he argues it, is that the whole point is that the only way we can really live in, in union with God is by submitting to him, not by bro blocking out our brain, but at the end of the day, we have to submit to his authority that he's God and I'm not. But we have the tendency to want to step outside and look at God from the outside and say, now, is he doing this right or is he doing this wrong? 
no, I don't agree with this, or I don't agree with this. We, our rational mind wants to be above it, and the way that Vance argues is that only love can be at the top, and the rational mind underneath. And the whole problem with sin is that we raise the rational mind, understanding above it. You know, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So you need to read the book. It's very good, very complicated, but it's very good. And this is what this is all about. They understood it all in their heads, but they didn't understand it in their heart. And they didn't understand the love <coughs> bit, because at the end of the day, it's the love bit that wins, isn't it? Yeah. That wins the argument. It's not the powerful, <coughs> uh, victorious Christ. I mean, he is powerful and victorious, but it's the lamb, isn't it? It's the suffering. It's, this it's not a doormat situation, okay? Don't get me wrong. It's not about just submitting to everything and suffering for everything. It's not that. But it's that decisive decision of love that I will go through this in obedience, in, servant, in service. And this is what this is all about. And the Pharisees couldn't cope with that. They did not like that concept. I don't think we an any of us like it, do we? It's against our flesh. It's against our whole being that that should be the answer to the whole thing. That should be the matter. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, you know. So this is, uh, this is really the whole thing about the most important question is who is Jesus? And this is what we need, to, that the Pharisees needed to understand and they couldn't get it. You know, I don't know what you think. Do you ever think you would have liked to live in the time when Jesus lived? Yes. Do you? Yes, Who would like to have lived then? Hands up. You would? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Okay. My problem is, I, I, I often think about it and I think, which side would I have been on? You know? Because, honestly, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight, you know, we understand it all now. <laughs> but when you were there, I probably would have been off the side of arguing it. You know, I'm quite argumentative. I want to know all the ins and outs. So I've got a terrible feeling I might have ended up on the wrong side. <laughs> so I'm quite glad I wasn't there. So I'm quite glad I'm here now. Because Jesus says this is the better time to live, isn't it? Because we have the Spirit of God to help us now. So, so it, it's obviously Jesus did rebuke the Pharisees and everything. But sometimes you have to have a bit of understanding, you know. Why were they like that? And... Uh, and, and he did rebuke people the right way, you know, uh, because if they had evil intent in their hearts, he would be very harsh with them. But it is difficult, isn't it? So, so this is uh, this whole argument about who Christ is is really at the center of everything. And even today, you know, you can talk with lots of different religions and everything. It's always that bit. That is the problem, that Christ is man and God at the same time. Because it does not make sense in some ways. And on the other hand, it's the only way that makes sense. It's the only way things can be resolved. So this is the big question then and now, really. So just uh, another five minutes. Okay, so the next, I just wanted to briefly look at the... Uh, the whole issue, I don't know whether you are ever puzzled about the whole thing of what is heart, what is soul, what is mind, what is body, what is spirit, what is the flesh. There's all these different 
ways of looking at it. But when you look, uh, has anybody of you got a concordance in your Bible? I love my concordance because I love looking at words. Now, if you look up Hark, you have got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of references. This is the big thing in the Bible, is the heart. And there's so many different aspects of the heart. And there's lots of references to soul, to mind, to spirit, to body, to flesh. But most of the references are about the heart, actually, when you look at your concordance here. And so the heart is really, is everything of you, is your whole being, you know, all, every aspect. It's, it's not always very clear cut, which what is what, you know, it's not like analytical. They all sort of overlap a bit, but I've just put down a few of the things that is more sort of typical of each of these things. And uh, so the heart is really our whole being. And obviously the spirit is the bit that makes us alive in, uh, spiritually. But with all of these things, the soul, the mind, all of this whole thing is, it, Brian has this t-shirt, have you still got it? Where it says perfect man on it. He used, he, he used to walk around with it and people used to look at him and think, oh, he's a bit thick-headed, huh? But it, <laughs> in small print it says under construction, yeah? So with all these things, even when we have the spirit of God, it doesn't just happen automatically. Do we agree on that? Yeah. Is anybody perfect yet? <laughs> so, can you go to the last one then? So, really to, f to finish off is that it says in the scripture that the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How lovely, eh? <laughs> Out of the heart comes the overflow, yeah? So, so really what we want is our heart to be completely redeemed, isn't it? And that involves our soul, that involves our uh, mind. You know, it says in Romans, the renewing of our mind. A lot of us probably have problems with that. I have lots of problems with that. It's a bit like an old computer up here that turns over the same old stories and I have to put in a new program. So, and so all these things have to be renewed it is as a process of maturing, isn't it, in all these things. So it says that our self-conscious self, self becomes increasingly our God-conscious self. So our conscious is redeemed, our mind is redeemed. And my, really, my heart's desire is, I've been saying that to a few people, is that every word I say should be the same as God's word. Every thought I think should be God's thoughts. You know when Jesus says, I only do what the Father is telling me to do? That's what I want to get to, you know. So I don't have to have, oh, to, now I'm in my religious department and now I'm in my normal department and now I'm at work. You know, that whatever comes out of me is the same thing. Because we can get to a stage where our spirit, our soul, our heart is so interlinked with the Holy Spirit that we are, you know when he says we live in him, we are in, in field, and all this, but it's a long process, we all know that, but that's where I want to get to. I want to get to a place where I don't, you know when we sometimes think, now when we have a thought, like when we get a word, is that me? Is it God? Is it the devil? Is it the world? Who is it? Who is speaking? Yeah? Anybody ever has that problem? 
I want to get to the stage where I say, and I'm confident it's what God would say. I don't even have to think about it anymore. But, so do you want to get there? Yeah. You want to get there? Yeah? So why don't we all try together to get there? <laughs> so, this is uh, really what I wanted to say. So it's, okay. So, uh, would anybody like some handouts? <laughs> I've done 12, so if any... Okay. Is that enough or not enough? It's not enough. Okay, uh, would you what, like I'm it? If you'd like a handout and you don't manage to get one, could you let us know... Um, may maybe I can do some more copies. Or after we can the we can just e we can email it to you, or we can put it on the website or whatever. Okay. So uh, if you don't get one, just and you want one, just let us know, and and we'll email one to you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You may have been a Christian for a long time, or you may be exploring the possibilities of a relationship with God. Wherever you are in your journey of life please feel free to contact us at Woolwich Community Church if you would like any further information on today's message. We will be happy to talk with you, pray with you and help you in any way we can. Please see the information below in our bio on how to get in touch with us. Have a blessed week and God bless.